I'd invite us to turn in God's word to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 2. We have advanced in our study one chapter. We only have 15, 16 more to go. It will be good. First Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Turn with me in your Bibles there. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, there are some Bibles underneath in the seat backs in front of you for your use, and um, feel free to take those if you need one. Uh, we'd love for you to have that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we'll be. On a cold day in January 1850, a young teenager, the son and the grandson of uh, Puritan preachers, but who had admitted, who admitted in his own heart that it was cold towards the Lord and was living in, in, in a bit of a, a rebellion against the Lord. He was on his way to meet his father at church one Sunday when a snowstorm stopped his progress. And waylaid by the weather, he stopped in a, a small primitive Methodist chapel near his home in Essex, England. And the pastor of that small church had also been kept away from the service by the storm. And so after singing some songs, an elderly layman stood up and read a verse from the prophet Isaiah. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And then for 10 minutes in his simple, very uh, colloquial brogue of that area, he implored all those who were there to look to Jesus and look to the cross. And in the young man's words, he said, I saw at once the way of salvation and the Holy Spirit enabled me, who enabled me to believe also gave me peace through believing. And within a year of this life-changing encounter, Charles Haddon Spurgeon felt the call to preach and over the course of his lifetime, he would reach regularly, preach regularly to thousands in his congregation and tens of thousands at special services in London, all with no sound systems, no video projection, anything of that sort. And while he himself was a master of words and vivid illustrations, his message was always focused on one thing, the centrality of Jesus and the necessity and the power of the cross to save sinners of all sorts. One writer, note, one writer noted, God saved the prince of preachers through the preaching of an intellectual pauper. Well, Spurgeon's conversion is a powerful illustration of what the Apostle Paul has been stressing in the first chapter of his letter to Corinth. The word of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ crucified which according to, to human standards and to worldly wisdom is utter foolishness and offensive is nevertheless the wisdom of God and the power of God through which he has chosen to save sinners and by which he has chosen to humble and to shame the wisdom and power and privileges of the world and those who look to them as a means of boasting before God and others. The aim of God in the foolishness of the cross 
And the aim of Paul in the folly of what he preached was to remove any grounds of pride or pretense or presumption that we might look to other than Jesus Christ for redemption and righteousness and sanctification and wisdom from God. That the only foundation which our hope and our faith would rest and upon which our life together as Christians in the body of Christ would be built on and grow in would be the power of God at work in us through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus for us. And at the end of chapter 1, Paul uses the testimony of those in the, in the Christian church as a prime example of that. God chose and called many of them from, from places and positions that were f- considered foolish, weak, low, of no account by worldly standards to demonstrate the way of Christ and his kingdom and how it stands in stark contrast to the wisdom and ways that man naturally pursues and that we naturally value in this world. We looked at that last week. And then in chapter 2, which we, we come to now, Paul furthers his argument for the wisdom and the power of God in the gospel with his own testimony of the necessity of the Spirit's work in both proclaiming and in receiving the gift of God in Christ in the gospel. Paul says the gospel comes in the power of the Spirit and it is received by the revelation of the Spirit so that once again our faith would not rest upon the wisdom of man but in the power of God. And that's why... uh, uh, a young Charles Spurgeon, having grown up all his life in the church, having been instructed in the faith and hearing the gospel week in and week out from from different preachers, many of whom he would later admit were very well-spoken and qualified ministers, could remain dead in his sin until God uses a humble, no-name, unimpressive, elderly man sharing in the simplest of terms the plain unadorned truth of Jesus Christ. That's why nothing that I say here this morning, nothing that you hear here this morning will be of eternal value or benefit apart from the Holy Spirit's work of grace to impart and implant wisdom and understanding and righteousness and redemption through the power of Christ. And so let's ask God to do that as we come to his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we have listened, we have prayed, we have sung truths that you have given to us. And now we come again to your word, to your truth that sanctifies and saves and as we sang satisfies all our longings your son Jesus the living word and father nothing I say nothing we hear can we grasp or appropriate or enter into with any redeeming value or eternal significance Apart from trusting and leaning upon your Holy Spirit. And so Spirit, we ask that you would come. Illumine our minds. Open our eyes. Unstop our ears. 
and alive in our hearts that we might know you and know the power of Christ crucified, that we might also know the power of his resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So follow with me as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, Even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Paul basically has two points here in this section, both regarding the necessity and the work of God's spirit in the testimony of God in the gospel. And as we are being equipped As saints, to to testify, we need to recognize that that part of that equipping is recognizing the Spirit's power at work in that testimony. And the two points that Paul wants us to understand is, first, effective proclamation of the gospel is Spirit-empowered. And secondly, effective hearing of the gospel is Spirit-enabled. Proclamation of the gospel is spirit-empowered. Effective hearing of the gospel is spirit-enabled. Boys and girls, that simply means, again, that we need God's help, God's spirit to help us speak and help us to hear and understand the truths about Jesus. By effective, I mean gospel communication that leads to, to not just understanding of God's truth, but to life-transforming trust in God's truth, and in particular, in His Son, Jesus Christ. Communication that affects our minds and our hearts in such a way that we, we grasp the grace of God and we grow in the righteousness of God through the power of God at work in us in Jesus Christ. 
And so let's consider first what Paul says about spirit-empowered proclamation. Paul uses his own ministry to the Corinthians as an example of what he calls earlier the, the folly or the foolishness of, of preaching. You know how when you're, you're traveling somewhere, you want to make sure that you, you bring those things that, that you feel like will be needed, that you feel like will be necessary to make that, that trip successful or that, that journey uh, a good one. So if you're going camping, you want to make sure that you, you pack your sleeping bag, you have your, your tent maybe, or at least your matches and those things that you'll need. If you're going to the beach, you double check to make sure you have your your towel and your sunglasses and your bathing suit and those things that will make that, that trip and the place to where you are going a successful one. Well, when Paul comes to Corinth, he intentionally leaves behind. He intentionally doesn't just forget, but he, he intentionally leaves behind two things that any other person who would be traveling to Corinth to proclaim a message would have considered essential to the task what he calls lofty speech and human wisdom. The Greeks loved a good speaker. <laughs> and they loved someone who could proclaim the, the, the wisdom and the philosophies in a manner that was, that was powerful, that was convincing. They placed high value on those who could wax eloquent and sound wise in their communication. They valued an argument and a debate as much for how it was presented as for what was actually said. Similar to our, our own day, where so much information is controlled and, and flows back and forth uh, by the media and through the media, we are often captured by the packaging of that information more than the content of the message. Which is why as, as Paul comes to Corinth, he decides to leave the packaging behind, in a sense. It's not because he himself was not capable of speaking eloquently or arguing persuasively. He had just gone toe-to-toe -to, -toe to some degree with the philosophers at the Areopagus in Athens. We see from his writings and know from his ministry that he was, he, he was often very uh, eloquent and persuasive in the things that he said. And though he may not have been the most impressive of speakers, Paul could certainly have, have held his own. But he knows that this is what the Corinthians are expecting. This is what they will place great weight on and take great pride in. They want someone who will, will capture their attention. Someone who will, will wow them with a great sermon. Someone who will, who will knock their socks off as he comes and shares what he has to share. And therefore the temptation as Paul comes in is, is to give the people what they want. To focus and rely more on the method than the message. And brothers and sisters, in our own culture, captivated and driven by, by images and tweets and the marvels of technology where any message can go viral and be seen and heard across the globe in a matter of minutes, there's a great temptation to craft and present a message in such a way as to capture attention and garner approval. Pastoring, sometimes I think about it like this, pastoring can sometimes be like, like uh, feel like you're in the NFL. When you're, you're the spiritual coordinator 
And every week you've got to come up with a creative game plan and you've got to keep the seats filled and you've got to keep the players motivated. It's not that, but it sometimes feels like that. And even in our own witness, we we want to make Jesus attractive. We want to make the gospel relevant. We want people to like us and to like our message. And so, so we may temper, we may posture, or even spin it in a way that we think will accomplish that. Only the central element of our message is not very attractive. It's not a real likable reality. A man hanging on a cross for our sin and calling us to live a crucified life with him, not relying on our own talents or treasure or wisdom, but daily dying to self, taking up our own cross and participating in his suffering so that we might also enter into his glory. You see, the power, Paul says, is the message. The power is not in the medium of that message. It's in the lowliness of the person, not the loftiness of the presentation of Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul leaves behind the method that would likely distract from that message in order that the people's response would not be a result of, would not rest on on him or on any man's wisdom, but would be in response to the power of God and the work of his spirit through the simple gospel. Now, Paul's not condemning the use of eloquence or wisdom. He's not endorsing sloppy preaching or preparation or saying that we should not pursue understanding of what God has revealed in his words. Nor is he he saying that we shouldn't consider the means by which we communicate the gospel and make use of, of different methods that God has given us and that we have available to us and that might speak in a particular way to particular groups of people. We'll see Paul use that same uh, um, uh, method as he went out, seeking to be all things to all men and, and looking for ways he could communicate effectively. But God has deemed to communicate that message through the testimony of his truth given through ordinary people, And we do have to be careful not to to try and spin the gospel or package it in a way that seeks to manage or manipulate a favorable response or let let our faith rest in something other than Christ and Him crucified. So Paul resolves to leave behind the art of human wisdom and and trying to woo his hearers with, with eloquent or superior words. And he says, instead I decided to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Nothing but Christ and him crucified. Not that, that Paul preached every message on Jesus' actually going and being crucified on the cross. Not that the crucifixion was the, the main subject of every one of his sermons, but that everything he said, everything he did, every aspect of his own life and his own ministry would be centered around and would be carried out in the reality of a suffering, crucified Savior and the power of God that comes through relationship with Him. He does not regulate Christ's crucifixion to some past historic event of secondary significance. He sees it as a present reality 
at the heart of God's ongoing work in the life of his people. The cross represents and, 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 and uh, brings to bear the way that God is calling us to enter into his kingdom. Paul was not naive about the foolishness of that truth in the eyes and to the minds of men. And he understood God's call to embrace that foolishness is not only in the method and manner in which he would communicate it, but in everything that he did. And so he comes not only leaving behind that human wisdom and that eloquence which, which people might expect and desire, but he comes with something else. He comes bringing something else. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. We know from Paul's letter to the Galatians that he suffered from physical ailments and likely, that likely hampered him throughout his ministry. We don't know all the details, but we know they were significant. Indeed, from his second letter to the Corinthians, he, he speaks of a, a thorn in the flesh that afflicted him and made him weak, and he begged to have it removed. The Corinthians were, were not impressed with either his speech or his appearance. And Paul doesn't just acknowledge that, but he actually is willing to enter into it and embrace it. <laughs> he comes not just in physical weakness, but with a profound sense of fear and trembling, he said. Now, this, this wasn't because he was necessarily afraid of what might happen to him, although he'd had some hard things happen to him, and I'm sure there was an element of, of what's going to happen next. But that fear and trembling is a sense of the weightiness, a sense of the, the significance of, of his calling and of what, what, he was, what God had given him to do. He doesn't ride into town with a confident, cocky swagger. He didn't come with, a, with, with the charismatic, presumptuous kind of, I've got this attitude. But instead, he came in meekness. He came in humility. He came with a profound sense of his, his own inadequacy and vulnerability as, a, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And he says, God takes that and uses it to display his power. <laughs> to show the, the surpassing greatness of his glory through the weakness and the brokenness of the vessels in which he has given this treasure, as we read earlier. Every week as I, I study and prepare and get ready to come up here in this pulpit, I feel the weight of that endeavor. I wrestle with how I can preach. <laughs> yes, in a way that, 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 uh, that speaks the truth of the gospel and hopefully in a way that doesn't put you to sleep. But also recognizing that I come in light of my own sin, in light of the inadequacies that I face in following Jesus. I, I, I tremble at the knowledge that, that some may love this sermon and how well it is organized and presented and will talk about what a great preacher I am, but may never grasp their deep need for Jesus and my deep need for Jesus. And others of you may say, well, I can actually get better preaching somewhere else <laughs> or maybe online. And that's definitely true. But your faith rests in the messengers more than the message. 
Paul felt that. I feel that. We should all feel that sense of of weakness and weight when we are called to testify to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But Paul's aim and our aim in proclaiming Christ and him crucified is that people would would not find their their faith or rest their hope in in our wisdom or, or the power of our persuasion, but that their faith would rest in the power of God. And that's why Paul says his preaching, without its eloquence and and plausible words of wisdom, was actually in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The power of God's love displayed in him. Its effect was transformative. That's what he means when when he's talking about a display of power. Some think that Paul's talking here about the miracles that that accompanied the work of of he and the other apostles, and certainly that was true. There were displays of signs and and wonders to to validate the the message and the the things that they were uh, saying and doing. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. I think rather he's talking about the the Spirit's power to take this this foolish message and actually change hearts and change lives in such a way that people are, are wooed by the person and the power of God's love displayed in him, not because they are somehow wowed by a presentation. That the power of of God taking a community of forgiven and free and redeemed and righteous and humble and holy and loving and gracious people and making them from all walks of life come together and live out those realities, not because of human ingenuity or lofty persuasion or strong leaders, but because of the sacrificial death of God's Son for sin, made effective in our lives and the hearts by the power of God's Spirit. Taking that, that message through broken and weak vessels like you and me and Paul and the other apostles whom God had called to himself and pouring it into weak and broken vessels. We have received this treasure, the gospel, Paul says, in jars of clay that the power might rest in God and not in us. And as we testify in our weakness, as Paul said, carrying the body of, carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus, being given over to death that we live, that the, that the life of Jesus might be manifested in us. The power of the Spirit takes that message of a crucified Savior through the means of a crucified servant so that the life may be manifested his life may be manifest in others through that power. Which is what Paul says next. Not only is effective proclamation of the gospel spirit-empowered, but effective hearing of the gospel is spirit-enabled. Paul now switches from there in, in, in verse 6 from the first person to the third person. Noting that what he says now is, is not just applicable to his own personal experience coming in to Corinth, but specifically to others to whom God has also called and given authority to proclaim his truth. Certainly to, through the apostles and the prophets upon whose testimony the foundations of our faith rests. 
But also by extension, as we'll see as we go through this letter, it applies to our own, our own uh, equipping to testify to the truth of the gospel in our own life through the Spirit's power. Paul goes on to say, even though he left human wisdom behind in the, his proclamation, nevertheless, he did come imparting wisdom. He says he came imparting it among the mature, not meaning that it was only for the wise or the smart or the educated people, nor does he mean for those who necessarily are, are further along in their faith or been Christians for a longer time than others, although he'll, he'll use similar language later on to talk specifically about that. The term mature here means, means mature, meaning those who, who have been prepared, those who are ready to receive it in the sense of, of being able, being, being uh, 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 um, able to hear it and appropriate it. And the wisdom he imparts is that which he already has been talking about, God's upside-down plan and purpose of redemption, come to, to fulfillment in the person and the work of Christ. He emphasizes again, it's not the wisdom of this age. It's not, it's not human wisdom, which comes and goes with those who concoct it. But it's the wisdom of God, and it originates in the mind of God. And it is not limited to, to time and place. It originated before, from eternity past, before the foundations of the world. And that wisdom, that plan, that purpose of God, which he has ordained and has, has has carried has been carrying out throughout history is not understood by human wisdom, not understood by man. It's been hidden to man's natural understanding. Had man understood it, Paul says, he would not have killed God's Messiah, the Lord of glory. But because God shows up, because he works in a way and through means that are by human standards foolish and weak, Man's is blinded to that wisdom. His ears are deaf to its truth. It's foolish to his understanding. And yet, Paul says, what we on our own cannot see, what we cannot hear or understand, specifically what God has prepared and planned for those who love him, he says, these things God has revealed. And how does he do it? Through his spirit. Friends, we need help, not just to speak the truth of the gospel, but we need help to grasp the wisdom of God and the ways of God, and that help comes through the Spirit of God. Now, why is that? Paul uses an analogy here. I can look out there, and I know many of you, and I know a lot about things that are going on in your life, and I may think that I know what you are thinking or what you are planning to do or what you are feeling and that may be based on some things I know about you and some things that we have talked about or things that you have shared with me. That may be true when we're talking with anyone. We may think we know what's, what's going on in their lives and, and, and in their minds. But deep down, the only one who truly knows what you are thinking, what your plans are, how you are feeling, is you. <laughs> And Paul says, your spirit within you. Only you know the depths of your thoughts. And unless you reveal them to me, unless you help me or someone else truly understand them, let us in on the implications of them, we may say, 
I know or I think I know. But in, oh, but in reality, those things are hidden. And Paul says, likewise, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. For the Spirit, he says, searches even the depths of God. The Spirit of God is the one who knows the mind and the will and the way of God down to its very depths, which is infinite. Imagine that. And how can that be? Because the Spirit and God are one. (laughs) Because the Spirit is God, just as you and your spirit are one. The Spirit is God. Paul notes in verse 12, he is the Spirit who literally proceeds from God. God reveals himself by giving himself to us in the person of his son Jesus by whom we are redeemed and reconciled to God and in the person of the Holy Spirit through whom that redemption and that reconciliation and God's wisdom are made known and made real to our hearts and to our minds. He is, as Jesus said, the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are one in the same because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God. That's what we were talking about in Foundations today. The mystery of the Trinity. Jesus told his disciples that he would send his Holy Spirit to remind them of all that he said and did and that through their testimony, as Paul says here, taught by the Spirit, Making known spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, God reveals his wisdom. He works his power in us to give us understanding and to give us wisdom and power to know him and to follow him. God the Father in his great wisdom ordained to send his son Jesus to accomplish in an utterly foolish fashion by the world standards, the redemption of his people and the establishment of his kingdom. And God, the Holy Spirit, comes, is is sent and imparts and implants that redemption and the understanding of his kingdom to those whom he is calling to himself in love. And without the empowering, enabling work of the Spirit of God, our faith and our hope will rest only in the things of this life, only in the wisdom that we can hear from others or from men. And if that's true, and as Paul says later in this letter, if we only have hope for this life, we are of all men most to be pitied. But God has revealed those things to his apostles, to the prophets, and he has he has inspired and, and recorded his truth for us. And he now through that truth in his word and in Christ Jesus reveals that to you and me by his spirit. And therefore we have the power and the wisdom of God to know and to understand and to receive the things freely given to us by God in Christ. So how are we equipped as the saints, to testify in the Spirit's power and not in our own strength and understanding. Well, for one, don't put your faith in the ability of me or Kyle as your pastor or any other who are called to preach and teach the Word of God 
Don't put your faith in us to craft a fancy sermon or present an eloquent message or to come into this pulpit with confidence, charisma, and strength and give a presentation or performance that wows your socks off in the end. Because if that's all it does, it leaves you without seeing the crucified and risen Christ as your only hope. Expect from those of us who preach, expect from those who teach the word that we would show you Christ, that you might look upon him and be saved and sanctified. The Corinthians, one of the things Paul's dealing with here is they were aligning themselves with different preachers, different teachers, putting significance in one man over another man, in one school of thought over a different school of thought. And Paul is saying, we have one message, one Savior, one reality, and that is crucified, the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. This message is a challenge to me. It's a challenge to me. All the preparation in the world, all the pretty and persuasive proclamation that can be given is nothing if it's not rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and reliant on the power of the Spirit. And as you and we in our testimony together of of God in Christ with others, whether in your own life or own words or, or as the body of Christ, let us not shrink back because we may not be able to speak it with eloquence or we may not be as equipped as others we think to share it or you may not think that you have experienced enough to speak of it but rather let us decide to know nothing but Christ and him crucified and in our weakness and in our fear and our trembling of the of the weight of this wonderful truth and the glory that it brings and living in the 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 humility and the suffering that is also a part of it as we walk together Let us share the good news of the gospel, what Christ has done for sinners and for you as a sinner and ask the Spirit of God to give power to our words and understanding to those who hear. And let that testimony be seen in our lives together as we embrace the foolishness and the humility of God's wisdom and ways. It's there, it's there as we we share together our lives as we walk together in our weakness as we humble ourselves together under God's word it's there that God's power is perfected and that his grace is magnified and his glory is seen in Christ and as we listen and as we hear and as we seek to understand let's pray pray that that the Lord would help us That the Lord's Spirit would come and show me what you have for me, Lord. In the message this morning, in my devotion as I read, in this thing that I am going to teach, in this thing that I am hearing or listening to, in what this person is is saying to me. 
Let us not just be looking for a great message or something that that tickles our ears or lines up with our understanding all the time, but let us be humble to learn and open to how the Spirit might might take something that we've heard for years and give us new understanding, give us new application for it. Be willing to hear and listen to other believers whose lives and experiences are different. But always, always, always let us test what the Spirit is saying by the Word of God and by the truth of God and by what He has revealed to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His wisdom ordained from before the foundations of the world and worked out through the life of His people and recorded for us here in Scripture that we might hear And know the power of God in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. And all of your servants. Whose lives in many ways were no different than ours called from various places, in various circumstances, humbled before you in various ways, and always that they might see you in all your wisdom. And Father, you have given us your word, and you have given us your spirit, that we might know you and know your son Jesus, whom you have sent and who has lived and died for us. And you've called us to follow you in that crucified life that we might know your glory. Lord, give us your spirit that we might proclaim, that we might hear and understand, that we might live in your power. And that others through us might come to know you and to know that power as well. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.